0: Hello, I'm Ian Madison, a fellow in the International Development Department and producer of Season 2 of the Refugee Realities podcast series. In this series, students on the Forced Migration and Refugees course at LSE bring us interviews with a range of people on the topic, covering the policies and politics that shape asylum to the experiences of refugees themselves. Following the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan in August 2021, tens of thousands of Afghans fled to foreign countries. The UK evacuated around 18,000 people who are now placed in temporary housing in the UK. Organizations such as the British Red Cross are now seeking to assist Afghans to resettle into more permanent homes. In this episode, Sveto Mohamed Ishog speaks to two guests, Halima, a British Afghan evacuated last year from Kabul, and Nadine the Afghan relocations project officer at the British Red Cross. Sveto speaks about Halima's evacuation experience and her life in one of London's hotels and learns about the British Red Cross's programs for newly arrived Afghans. Sveto is an Afghan women's rights activist, Afghanistan's first Schwarzman scholar, and is currently pursuing a degree in gender development and globalization at the LSE. The experience of living mostly as a refugee in six different countries and witnessing the negative assumptions about life in Afghanistan inspired Sveto to create a storytelling platform, Chadari, which gives an opportunity for Afghan women to express their perspectives, talk about their achievements, and to show the world that Afghanistan is much more than what can be seen in the media. Sveto proudly represents Afghanistan on national and international platforms, including the British Red Cross, UNHCR, and UN Women, and recently gave a TEDx talk at LSE promoting unheard experiences of Afghan women. I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Following Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan in August 15, 2021, many Afghans evacuated to foreign countries, including the UK, The UK evacuated approximately 18,000 people, including over 6,000 British nationals, and housed them in temporary housing while seeking more permanent housing for them. The organizations that work for refugees, such as British Red Cross, have created a lot of programs to help Afghans resettle in their new home. In today's episode of the Refugee Realities Podcast, I'm delighted to welcome two amazing guests, Nadine the Afghan Relocations Project Officer at the British Red Cross and Halima, my dear friend from Afghanistan and my former co-worker who came to the UK last August 2021. I'll first uh, start speaking with Halima about her experience of leaving Afghanistan. And I would like to start by asking you, um, so what was your experience like fleeing uh, the Taliban during August? And uh, what was the situation like at the Kabul Airport.
2: Um, so the situation in Kabul Airport um, when we first got there, it was very um, busy. Um, there was crowds, a lot of people waiting to get out, leave the country. But also, it was like um, Taliban everywhere. They were trying to control the situation, but they were not very successful with controlling the situation. The longer we stayed there, it was like the more scarier the scenes were getting, and um, it was very like there were stampedes. were developing, Um, the Taliban were losing their patience with the crowds and they started shooting and um, spraying water, hitting people, Um, like regardless of people that carrying children and stuff like that, they weren't considerate of those, um, like just hitting people and um, trying not to let people get through. Um, The checkpoints where the Taliban had made, they weren't like visibly a checkpoint, it was just where they had parked cars and vehicles and they were just not letting people pass, and like nobody knew why. And like, from behind, more people were coming, and it was like the crowd was getting tighter. And like in the end, it just um, resulted in stampedes, and people were getting crushed, and people falling over. And there was a lot of other like distressing things that we saw, like people had lost their children, like searching for their children in the crowds. People that had family members had been crushed, like under feet. So that, that they were very distressing scenes in the Kabul airport. Um, but however like when we did actually get into the contact with the the British troops they were very helpful and very like even though they were in the same extreme heat and like it was very hot like midday standing there for long hours they were still very um, patient with the British nationals and their families and like doing their best to help people to get through the crowds and um, I remember this one particular soldier he helped like pull me and my family through the crowd which was like so tightly packed it was like no space like to literally put a foot forward and then once we actually got inside the camp um, it was like a different complete different place there was more space people could sit down um, and wait but obviously there was much more people there than they had expected or prepared for because after a while after 24 hours the amount of people are processing like um, the each family it From one side, more families would come in and it was resulting in crowds inside of the camp as well. Um, And even as time was going on, there there became like food shortages and water shortages and again, crowds and... But eventually they did process the families through. And once they did process it, it went quite smoothly and you'd be on the flight pretty soon after they had done that initial process.
1: Wow, it must be such a difficult experience uh, for you uh, and for many Afghans who who face that problem, right, on that um, day. And so once you came here, you have been, like, in London hotels since August last year, right? And given that you're there in hotels with your children and with your husband, that must be tough. And it's been almost 10 months that you are here. So I would love to um, ask about, like, how has your overall experience been uh, living here and um, and what are some of the challenges that you face and your family faced uh, while being in the hotel and living here for the past 10 uh,
2: months we are very grateful that we are in the hotel because um, where we came from it was like a very bad situation um, especially in the airport and you know we literally left our homes like we just like remember i had um cooked food and left it on the cooker i'd washed clothes left them on the washing line and we left our houses in this kind of like condition and just like just fleeing for our safety and the children's safety we had this fear in our inside of like if we get there where will we go Will we have like a roof over our heads like so first we're very grateful for the fact that we actually are in the hotel and the hotel can accommodate us for this long but of course like with children um it can get hard for like this long like it's been, as you said 10 months um because children they need like more space to play and another challenge is like some things um for example the food and um, the children sometimes they don't eat it so like for like sometimes for a few days and I row they wouldn't like eat the food because it's different for them yeah it's not Afghan food right? it's not Afghan yeah. food and um that was quite um, a challenge for at first but yeah. then later like as we got used to the area we could manage to find things that they like to eat like maybe some restaurants and stuff that they have similar foods um
1: and there's no place for you to
2: cook obviously
1: right yeah, this is no. hotel.
2: yeah. we just have one microwave um which we can heat up food in but other than that we know we cook anyway.
1: so you are also a british national and you speak um english and i i feel like your experiences might be different from those who do not speak um the language right english so um because you have lived in hotels with like other Afghans who left Afghanistan and who are actually refugees and who might leave the country for the first time. And um, so obviously their challenges will be different from your challenges. So I'll be interested in learning like what kind of challenges are they facing. Also the men, like how is it different? Like the challenges that women are facing, what like the men, it will be also like an interesting thing to learn because of course I'm also an Afghan and I know like mostly like men speak English, but women don't speak. So is it the same similar situation here at the hotel as well, like with the other refugees?
2: I would say like each family has like one person that can speak English, at least, if not more. But it does pose like challenges if I guess if the, they would go out alone, they would need to see like, if they, for example, they're going to the doctor's or they just needed to go somewhere, they can't really ask for directions. Um, but however, inside the hotel, when there's like, um, say for example, an organisation visiting or something like, um, there's always a translator with them. And there's our translators like every day in the hotel. Um, allocated, I think, by the local authorities. So, um, they stay in the hotel every day. Like, so if anyone has any, um, any kind of issue, they can just ask a translator. Um, but of course, um, there are some people, as you said, it's their first time to leave Afghanistan and um, given the circumstances they left and there are a lot of people that got separated from their families and um, obviously we're a large amount of people so it takes a long time to process the documents and things but there are some people that as soon as they got here they like desperately wanted to go back because they're separated from their families, from their children, from their parents and um, they're stuck in those conditions and they can't come here so they, they want to go back to their family in Afghanistan and um, they can't because they don't have any documents because they have no passport, no visa and... Also the um they're not issuing passports, um Afghan passports in the embassy here since the takeover of the, the Yeah, time. even though the embassy is open, um yeah.
1: yeah, they're not like functioning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um so they can't even apply for passports to go back. So they had to wait for the um the visas to come. Once we applied, it did come pretty soon after, but um it took a long time to actually be invited to apply for it.
1: Yeah, so. I remember when we last time spoke with you on the phone. You told me that you um, they found you at home. So they're kind of um, so you're relocating, right, from hotels.
2: Yeah, they they are um, matching properties of families. Um, they also ask um a questions from us um like where where we have connections or like for example if somebody is working and um, so they would try and house people closer to their, at least them employment or their family connections um but yeah in this case this wasn't considered that it was very far away from my family and um, my husband's working and these things so we, we didn't accept the property so we um we have to stay in the hotel for now yes to find a better place yeah like closer to us where we can visit our family and where my husband can still work yes
1: also what is the the working situation like do the uh, people who arrived are they allowed to legally to work and study? Um, How's their status on that end?
2: Um, well, when we first arrived, um, they were given a visa indefinitely to remain, um, but it wasn't clear if they had the right to work. Um, after a while, when when they did receive their um, the BRP cards, um, with those cards, they do have the right to work that's
1: great that's amazing um because i feel like it's very it's very difficult if you are moving to another country and you're not allowed to work or study uh so i can totally get it because um i've experienced that myself as well living in different countries and also another question that i would love to end with is um so what are the next uh, steps for you and your family like what is your um, what's your ambitions and goals and dreams uh, because i feel like a lot of people when they speak about refugees uh, they usually usually think of them as homogenized group of like oh like they're like stealing our jobs and like they're not welcomed in the country and all of those narratives so uh, tell me more about like whether what uh, because i feel like through this podcast i also want to show people that afghans or like in general refugees are there are ambitious people and they have big dreams and goals and they can contribute greatly to the country that they live. So what are your plans?
2: Um, my plans for the future are um, firstly, hopefully um, to settle down somewhere. Um, um, my children continue education. And for myself, um, I have a dream to one day open um, a fashion line, clothing line, because um, I love art and textiles and I love to design things. So um, that's my biggest dream ever since childhood. I wish one day to fulfill it.
1: Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you. Uh,
1: So in the second part of the podcast, we have Nadine Pa, who is um, Afghan Relocations Project Officer at the British Red Cross. Uh, Nadine Pa has uh, over seven years of experience supporting vulnerable individuals to access justice and support. As a relocations officer, Nadine plans and delivers integration information workshops across the UK through settled Afghan nationals. Over the last three years, Nadine worked on several projects including digital empowerment and connect project supporting over 300 refugee women across the UK to access digital support. Welcome Nadine. Thank you. So I would like to start um, by asking the question about Afghan resettlement scheme, uh, because uh, the Afghans who arrived uh, last August, they are under that scheme. So tell us more
3: about that. Hi Svetha, thank you very much for inviting me today. Um, so yes, that is correct. So um, many of the Afghans that we are supporting at the moment they have arrived. Um, so the main scheme was actually the Arab scheme, so which is the Afghan Relocations and Assistance Policy. And this scheme is basically for people who worked for or work with the UK government or armed forces in Afghanistan. Um, there's also another scheme that which is called the ACRS, which is the Afghan Citizens Resettlement Scheme. And this scheme in terms of eligibility criteria is uh, broader than the first one. So we've been supporting individuals that have arrived under both schemes. If you actually would like to find out more about these schemes or any information about the work of the British Red Cross in terms of supporting Afghan individuals in the UK, you can go to our website which is www.redcross.org.uk, help for Afghan people in the UK. And in this website, you can find out more about the scheme's eligibility criteria and, and all of the work that we've been doing.
1: Great. Thank you for that introduction of the Afghan settlement Scheme. And um, I know that the British Red Cross have been delivering some programs and workshops. So um, I would like to learn more about that. Like what are some of the programs that you're organizations have been delivering to Afghan individuals since last year.
3: Yes, yes, that is correct. So, yeah, we have um, been delivering workshops. These are integration workshops to Afghan individuals. We started delivering these workshops last December. Initially, we had three workshops, so which was live in the UK. In this workshop, we just talked about the British culture. We talk about things, for example, education, how the education works here in the UK, how do you apply to have a driving license? Um, we then also had another workshop was which was digital safety and protection here in the UK. And basically, this is all about how do you stay safe online. So, as we know, the UK is quite a digitalized country. And since COVID, um now even more than what it was before. So it's very, very important to learn how do you stay safe um, online. And uh, yeah, so so this this basically will we covered on the digital safety and it also includes things, for example, how do you detect fraud, um, either if it's by email, by text message or calls, um, which unfortunately these have increased as well with the lockdown. Um, and then the other session that we also delivered, this is a women's session. Um, and this session we talk things, for example, maternity care, access to health services, children's social services, and um, domestic abuse and positive parenting. So this is the main topics that we talk about. Um, initially, our approach was to actually have these workshops with men and women at the same time, and we start delivering these online. But we quickly noticed that women didn't feel very comfortable to ask questions. And it was more men that would ask these questions. So therefore we then changed our approach and we had workshops for women only and then for men as well. Um, the thing that we noticed as well, so as I mentioned before, these schemes, are, um, one of the schemes, the Arab scheme, is for people who work with the government or with the armed forces. So a lot of the men actually, they were very fluent in English um, compared to the women. So this is something that's in balance, that we really had to look out for. And then what we decided to do was to focus on the women's session only, um, just because in terms of the integration, there was a lot of material out there and it was a lot easier for the men to access um, this information. So we decided to focus just on the women's session.
1: Mm -hmm. This is great. This is great to learn that um, how you learned some of the challenges and you kind of approached that and um, mitigated those. What are some of other challenges that you faced? Of course, one of them was that women don't speak English, whereas men speak. And how did you mitigate that or some other challenges that you faced while
3: delivering the workshops? Yes, yes. So there's was, there was a few challenges. I mean, there's a few challenges we already, in terms of, for example, the literacy, some of the women um, actually, they've, they've never attended school. So that was a challenge in itself in terms of how do you present the information? Um, because obviously we have the workshop. And they, when whilst I'm living the workshop, they have the space to ask all of the questions. But then after that, what happens? So that's why, in terms of resources, um, we actually have a range of resources. So not only we have the written guides, but we also have some films, and these films are in Dari and Pashto. So which is quite good. So there's no language barrier in there. Um, also, the language itself was a barrier. So I would say at time sourcing interpreters It was it was very challenging. Um, but the good thing is that we have a very good colleague of ours who actually she's from Afghan and she supported this project 100 percent. And she was able to deliver some of the sessions with me. Um, the other challenge I would say sometimes it was attendance and this is um, a challenge that is quite complex in the sense that it's difficult for the Red Cross to try and mitigate this challenge because it has a lot to do, for example, with the relationship with the report that has been built with the hotel, management with um, the organizations are in the hotels with the with the residents but also some other factors they would come in for example domestic abuse um some of the women were not allowed to leave the room this is more of a challenge that is is very um it's hard for us to to mitigate but nonetheless I must say that um, we had a very good attendance so so far we have um, delivered these sessions to 397 individuals so this was over the course of five months because actually we have not delivered sessions in April because of Ramadan um, so over the course of five months we've reached 397 individuals
1: yeah Great. So Ramadan to kind of tell the audience is a fasting month. It's a, it's a month where Muslims fast. So it's a bit challenging obviously to kind of fast and kind of attend the sessions, which is like usually um, I, I believe it's like a day or like half a day long. Right. Am I correct?
3: Yes. Yeah, so all of our sessions, the session, um, yes, is the three hour session. Yes. It's a lot of information, <laughs> but it's very, very important information Um, So during these sessions we talk about things, for example, you can ask to be seen by a female doctor. We talk about smear tests and um, there's also this belief that when you go for a smear test there's actually a piece of meat that is removed from your cervix um so obviously this is something that we have to explain no this is not how it works and we have to explain that in the UK can be either a female or even a male doctor that can perform this smear test um so yes and the majority of women they were not aware that you can actually ask for a female doctor so these sessions have been very very good in that sense because I've been able to explain how it works and then most of the times at the end of the session, they will come to me and ask, oh, how can I book this smear test? Because they, they understand the importance of it. And that for me is a big, big win.
1: Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, so what are the, some of the, I would say, highlights of the impact that you would see uh, of those sessions? Of course, you obviously mentioned some, like, but uh, what were some of the feedback that you received during the sessions and those things?
3: Yes, sure. I would say that overall the impact is very, very positive. One of the very first sessions that I've delivered, um, so it came to my attention that actually some of the men were using um, deportation as a threat against the women, uh, where they would basically say, well, if you don't do this, or if you keep behaving this way, I'm just going to deport you to Afghanistan. Um, And this was really good. They came out on the first session in the sense that all of the sessions that are now, when I talk about domestic abuse, I always use that example as um, an example of, obviously, trying to controlling behavior, um, just trying to manipulate an individual using these threats. Um, And I've explained to all of the women, if they're here in the UK, it's because they have the legal rights to be here, that for no individual can just go to the Home office and ask them to be deported. And in one of the sessions, actually, one of the ladies what said was, "I now feel safe. We're more confident that no one can threaten us with coming back." Uh, so that in itself is a very, very powerful statement, um, and it demonstrates the impact of the information they have received. Um, also, overall, in terms of the confidence, um, most of the women they reported, they now feel more confident accessing health services. Um, and this is, of course, because now they understand what are the rights and entitlement when they accessing the health services.
1: Great. So, um... Previously, um, in the first part of the podcast, I interviewed um, an Afghan woman who is um, in the the hotel and she spoke about some of the challenges that Afghan women or in general Afghans um, are facing, uh, specifically with their mental health. Uh, Because obviously it's very difficult um, to be in the hotel and to new environment, new country, new culture, everything new, especially leaving the homeland, um, everything behind. Even some left their families behind. Um, So what are some of the uh, work that your organizations have been doing to kind of around the mental health issue?
3: Yes. So, um, unfortunately, we don't deliver mental health services. However, One of the sessions that we have, which is life in the UK, we do talk about mental health. Um, The first thing that I would like to point out is the fact that mental health in itself can be seen as a, um, a stigma in the Afghan society. So when we talk about mental health in itself, it might not say much to the Afghan individuals. So what we've done was to actually, instead of framing it as mental health, we talk about worries and concerns. And in this way, actually, you understand where we're coming from. For instance, in our workshops, what we've done was to use some very, very common um, phrases that you would say when you're under situation of a lot of stress, I can attempt to say it and I'm sure you will know what it is. <laughs> so for example, Fisher Bala, Fisher Pahin. Uh, yes,
1: yes. Uh, it actually like the literal meaning of that is the low blood pressure and high blood pressure, but that's exactly it's kind of synonym of like
3: worry and stress. Yes. Or Tashwish.
1: <laughs> yeah, Tashwish is stress.
3: <laughs> yes. Or Jigakun.
1: <laughs> it's worry. Yes, <laughs> that's so interesting, and it's so impressive
3: how you perfectly pronounce all those words. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So what we've done was, again, as you seen, as soon as I said those words, you you straight where well, you have connected them, so you understood where I was coming from. So this is what we've done with our session. So when we talked about the mental health with with families, worries and concerns, as I mentioned before, and then we obviously went on and talked about a few things that you can actually do when you're under these situations of of a lot of stress or when you're feeling with a low mood, if you're not able to sleep. Um, So just a few things, for example, to connect with other people, to be physically active, to try and learn something new. Um, Another thing, for example, is to practice kindness, um, and this is something that is already quite cultural, so we just try to emphasise to try and do it more often. Uh, and then again, obviously, to, to contact um, VP if we feel like that has reached a peak it is really, really, really having um, an impact on our physical health as well, not only just physical, psychological health. Um, we obviously explain that when it gets to a point, there's a certain point where you need to look for specialized support. Um, yes, and, and, and this is what we've we've been doing. And uh, the participants, they've been very open with us. So when we talk about these, they do talk about their own um, experiences. And um, we, we always signpost them to mental the health services
1: this is amazing. I think this is, uh, I I can totally understand that, like the stigma around the mental health issue in Afghan communities. So this is such an important aspect that you are um, kind of mitigating and trying to solve. So I'm really glad to hear all those um, progress that you're kind of encouraging Afghans to think about mental health, because it's such an important topic, which is never talked about in Afghan communities. So thank you so much. Thank you so much again for participating and for sharing all all the wonderful programs and work that um, your organizations have been doing for Afghans. Thank you.
3: Thank you very much for inviting me, Svetta. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode in Season 2 of the Refugee Realities podcast series, hosted by the Department of International Development at the LSE and made possible by the Eden Catalyst Fund. We have more episodes on the way, so please do stay tuned.